Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Yeah, that's good. It's a good time in the, in the presence of God. How are you? How are you guys doing? Yeah? You doing all right? Yeah, that's something, huh? Hey, I can see your faces. Look at you. Just as pretty as I remembered. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Brian. I was speaking specifically to Brian Sluggett there. He knew it. He knew it. This is Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's where we're going to end up today. If all goes well, that's where we're going to end up. And I, you know, unlike a good movie or a book or a TV show that holds the twist to the end, I wanted to just tell you at the very beginning, that's where we're going to end up. Um, we're going we're gonna to trade our heavy burden for, for a lighter one today. I hope. I hope that happens. Um, and this, this passage, it, it speaks to my soul. I, I hope it does yours as well. I, you know, as a business owner and also uh, one of the pastors here, you know, the, the mask mandate lifted in California, sort of-ish, this week, right? And that just makes my life more complicated, <laughs> not less. Um, I, as a person who pays a lot of attention to world news, um, I've been checking this week, like, every three hours to see if we're at war with Russia. And so that's, that's been going on, you know? Um, my mom had major open-heart surgery uh, this past week, and um, she's uh, in recovery right now and doing well, but that, that was a thing, and that was happening. And um, I tore out a big section of my backyard just all of a sudden, kind of spontaneously. I started cutting stuff down, and now it's a huge mess, and I'm like kind of over my head with home projects. And uh, I'm still a father of three. That's, that's also happening. I, if there is rest for our souls, if there's a way to trade heavy burdens for light ones, I need that today. I need that today. I don't think I'm the only one. So I just wanted to share that right up front to tell you where we're going to go. And here's how I think we're going to get here, how I think we're going to get there. We're going to do seven things this morning, okay? We're going to do seven things. And I wanted to give you this roadmap so that as we check them off, you'd see the progress of where we're going, right? So first, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, because I like history. I'm going to share some history with you. And then second, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story. And I'm going to read some scripture. That'll be good. Um, I'm going to eat some chocolate right in front of you. And I didn't bring enough for you. I only brought enough for me. I just want to be clear about that right from the beginning. Uh, I'm going to ask us some questions that we're going to consider together. They're not rhetorical. Uh, I might share an email address with you, and then we're going to trade our heavy burden for a light one, okay? So I just want to give you the scope of where we're going, all right? All right? You know, speaking of history, um, so 
I have history with uh, my friend Colin Brown that led us in worship this morning. We've been friends a long time. He's, he's a, a leader and an important voice in the Foursquare Church in Santa Cruz County. And so we're, it's a privilege to have him here with us. Um, but I knew him before he was special. Actually, my wife and, and his wife have been friends since they were little girls. I brought a picture of that just, just so you could see it. Um, yeah, look at that. They look serious because I think they're playing No Limit Texas Hold'em there. And you don't want to play No Limit Texas Hold'em against my wife. She's really good. But uh, yeah, she is. And, and I don't know if you know this, but Colin and I have known each other for a long time, too. Here's a picture of us when we were little boys. I brought that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he had an unfortunate skin condition that summer, but he got better. Um, no, so that's not the history I want to share with you. Speaking of history, I want, I want to share a, a real history with you, and that's the history of how we got the uh, letter in the Bible called um, the first, uh, first John. So there's actually three of John's letters. Now, this is separate from the Gospel of John. Um, this is, he, has, he wrote three letters, and it's among a group of letters that scholars refer to as the Catholic letters. Now, that's not Catholic with a capital C like the Catholic Church. This is lowercase c. It means, because Catholic means universal. So that means these letters are written universally, uh, to, generally, to all of us. Now, there were some letters like Timothy, for example, that was written to a person. We know that. It's named after the person it was written to. But these letters were written as an as open letters to, to the church and to us. And so this first letter, 1 John, we're going to read a small portion of Scripture from uh, the fourth chapter, 1 John. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your Bible app, we'll also have it on the screen. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Okay, And the history I want to give you is the, the way that this letter came about. So this letter was written... Very, we know from John, uh, first, second, and third John that that this was written by the apostle John. Uh, he referred to himself as John the Elder, John the Elder, and that's because he was very old when he wrote these letters. Uh, he was speaking with great authority. In fact, this was so late in the early church that when these were written, that very likely, it's very likely that all of the other twelve disciples were were gone or dead at the point that these were written. That means he was one of the last of the original followers of Jesus, still alive. And he was speaking to a very young church. He was over the church in Ephesus, over a group of house churches, and he was writing as an elder statesman to these young Christians. And you can hear it in his language, because when you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you hear him say things like, dear children, beloved, right? He's, he's writing to people that he cares deeply for, but they're far less experienced in the faith than he is. So this is wise counsel from an elder statesman of the church. We should, we should listen to this, right? This is for us. In this place, probably more than any other place in Scripture, John surveys the unique transformation that is taking place in all of us as we follow Jesus. Now, we have a word, a very churchy-sounding word for this transformation. We call it sanctification, right? Sanctification, it's a process. It's a mouthful. Um, but John describes it as simply becoming. We are becoming. We're becoming something else. And John has a very unique perspective on this because he had been becoming for a very long time, much longer than probably any of us here. 
except for Brian Sluggett. So, um, so he's, he's been at it a while, and he's writing from that perspective, all right? So this is, this is John's advice to, to us as Christians. He says, um, he says this. It begins this way. Oh, actually, before I begin, I just want to point out the risk in reading a, a passage like this. Here's, here's the risk, is that um, we can hear this, both for people that are inside and outside of Christianity, we can, we can hear this passage, and we can hear it the wrong way. And that's because there's kind of a default way of thinking about Christianity. You'll know what I'm talking about. The default way of thinking about Christianity is kind of like this, that Christianity is about trying hard to do less bad stuff. Right? Right? Or, or maybe you might say it like this. Here's a more positive spin. Trying hard to do more good stuff. That's the default way people think about Christianity. And not just people that aren't Christians. Christians think this way too. You can hear it in the way we talk about this thing and how we act sometimes. It's, it's the default. But it's, it's not the right way to think about it. And, and so that's the risk. We want to set that thinking aside for just a minute and see what John has to say about our goal, remember what our goal is, of setting aside a heavy burden, right? So before we read, this is, we're going to read uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Let me tell you a quick story, all right? A few years ago, I was working on another home project, and I needed some items, and I went to my favorite local hardware store, and I took my items up to the cash register, and there was the lady that I'd seen there dozens and dozens of times before. She, she had worked there. I'd been going there since I was a kid, and she had always worked there. Um, she may have started there. I don't know. She was always there, this one lady, older gal, and I'm ringing up the items, and she does the, the thing that she always does, which is pretend that she doesn't recognize me. I don't know why, but she just goes, hello, sir, welcome to fill in the blank. Here you go. And she rings up the items, and she gets to the end, and, and she goes, that'll be whatever the dollar amount was. And I reach into my wallet. Now, this is before, so this is a few years ago. Now, you know how we stick our card in the machine up front, right? Um, this is in, remember when we used to hand the card to the person, right? So she goes, can I see, can I have your credit card? And I hand her my credit card, and she does And I say, thank you for asking, right? And she, uh, she says, uh, so, so I flip open my wallet, and I show her my driver's license, and she takes a look at it. And I start gathering up my belongings, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir, this, this, um, this driver's license is expired. And I said, well, yes, that is a funny story. It's funny that you bring that up, because what happened was I, I dropped my wallet, and um, I had to get all new cards, and you know, you get your new license, and I went and got my new picture taken, and the whole deal, it's on its way. But in the meantime, I actually had this old license, so I've been carrying it around to show us my ID. And she said, well, you have to show a valid ID to use a credit card, Are you, right? And I said, but it's me in the picture, though. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm Chris Matley, and that's what it says right there. And she goes, well, but this isn't a valid ID. And I said, I kind of went full Jerry Seinfeld, you know. I said, but I wrote CID on my credit card. I asked you to ask me. I invited this conversation. I'm Chris Madley, who else would I be? That's my handwriting on both things and my picture. And she goes, I, I, I'm sorry. If you could please step out of line so I can help other customers. And I turn and look, I'm the only person there. So I just went home. I mean, what else am I gonna do, right? It was kind of a forest for the trees kind of moment, right? Is 
she wasn't able to see the forest for the trees. So, I mean, she was right to ask, but it's like, come on, right? That's me in the picture, you know? And we're so prone to this as human beings. And I think that even in this, um, in this passage of Scripture, we're prone to this problem of not seeing the forest for the trees. So let's, let's try to look at the trees as we read this. Right? Okay. I think I'm good. Great job, Griffin. Thanks, buddy. You did it. Thanks for bearing with us online at home there, guys. All right. So this is John chapter 4, verse 7. Let's, let's look for the trees in the forest here, you guys. It says, Dear friends, John writing to us, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Remember I said I was going to eat some chocolate? This is a good time to do it. Actually, any time is really a good time to eat chocolate. Can I get an amen? All right. So here's the deal. That's good chocolate. The presence of love in this universe is maybe one of the top five, in my humble opinion, compelling evidences of the presence of a loving God as its creator. The presence of love in this universe is a compelling evidence that there is a presence of a creator God who is also loving. In a universe without love, music would be nothing more than noise to us. It would sound like noise. There'd be no joy. Intimacy would be nothing but biological imperative. And chocolate, my friends, would taste like ashes in your mouth. But it doesn't. Yeah. Thank God we live in this world, right, with a loving God, and we're able to experience these things. Because John says, whoever does not know love does not know God. God is love. If there's love in this world, it's because God is in this world. He goes on to say this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, this is where it starts to get complicated, right? And it gets complicated very fast. What does that mean? How do we live through him? I thought I was living. I thought this was Chris living my life, right? He's inviting us into another kind of living. Something new is starting to take shape here. He goes on to say, this is love. So now he's going to define it for us, right? John defines love for these early Christians. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, so now it's starting to come into focus. What he means when he says, live through him. It's the ultimate trade-off. He traded his perfect life for our imperfect one, that we could go on living and be made better in him and experience his love. Then he starts again. He says, dear friends. Now, if you're talking to someone, an older father or mother in the faith, and they sit you down, and they begin by saying, dear friends. But midway through the conversation, they stop and they start again and say, dear friends. They really want you to hear what they're about to say. And he says this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, 
But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, this takes us all the way from the cosmic level, right? God above the universe, he is love, and he loved us. And it brings us from the cosmic level down to the cul-de-sac level, right? I was going to say street level, but it doesn't begin with a C, like cul-de-sac, so. Cosmic down to cul-de-sac, right? And so God loved us. He is love, and now what do we do down here at this level? We love one another. Now we're teetering right here on the knife's edge. Remember I was talking about the forest for the trees? This is really difficult, you guys. We're right on the edge, and if we fall off on the wrong side, we totally misunderstand this passage. Because it sounds like, let's be honest for a second, it sounds like he is saying that God did something for us, therefore we better do something for him. Does it sound a little bit like that? It does. But he's not done. Here's the other side of the coin. He flips it over. He says, this is how we know that we live in him, and he is in us. This is how we know. You want to know how? He has given us his Holy Spirit. And we've seen, and we testify, that means we bear witness, we talk about it with one another, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know, and we rely on the, God, on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how, we, how love is... Now, check this out. This is the important part. This is how love is made complete among us. Right here. Right here in Hope Church. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's how it works. So now you have these two competing thoughts, and they begin to harmonize right in the intersection of where God meets us. So let me ask this question this way. If we go out and we love our brother and our sister... Is that evidence that we love God? Or, before you answer, is it that if we love God, then naturally we will go out and love our brother and our sister? Which is it? Well, the answer is yes to both. It is. Somehow they're both true. So how do we live in the tension of that apparent contradiction? There's contradiction here. There's two things. And John is telling us that they're both true at the same time. Luckily, he answers that. He goes on to say this. He says, <clears throat> this is the part that's really important that we understand. He says, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. In fact, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, why do we love? Because he loved us first. So whatever it is that's happening here, he started it. If this was a fist fight, he threw the first punch. This begins with him. He loved us first. Okay, so let's, let's take one big step back for a second and ask ourselves again now with new understanding, what exactly is happening to us as followers of Jesus? What is, what is happening inside of us? We know, we know now that it's not trying harder 
to do less bad stuff or trying harder to do more good stuff. But we also know that the evidence that something is happening inside of us is that we are more loving towards our brother and sister. What exactly is happening? The key is right here where he says there's no fear in love. It, our motives are changing. The reason why we do things, the reason why we don't do things is changing. This is a fundamental, fundamental change. This isn't just like, you know, midlife crisis, I start a new career or I get a new car or I, you know, I take on a new hobby. This is fundamental ground level change inside of us. Our motives, the reason we do what we do is changing. This is a good point to ask ourselves, does this, this process that's happening, does this make us better than other people? Hmm. It's humbling, and it should be humbling for us to remind ourselves that what God is doing inside of us is changing our motivations, not just turning us into better people, right? He's changing the reason why we want to do something. You know, if the reason why we take an action is motivated by fear, he wants to change that so that the reason why we take an action is motivated by love. John has kind of had a lot to say on this, right? He's, he's had a lot to say. He's not quite done, but he's almost done. But he's old, so we should let him, we should let him speak. He has a lot to say. This is where he wraps it up. This is uh, the last couple verses, verse 21. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hate a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So he's giving us this, this evidence. If you want to know that you are in God, that you are embracing the love of God, if you're being transformed by his love, not to just be more loving, but to become love. That's what's happening, by the way. We're becoming love. Like he is love. If you want to know that's happening, then all you have to do is look at the evidence in front of you of how you treat other people to see that process. And this is, this is a side note. Just, this is for free. Total side note. I love you guys. I love you. I do. I'm your friend, and I love you, and I don't want you to be fooled by people. But when you hear a megachurch pastor or a celebrity or an athlete or a politician, and they tell you, you know the kind of people I'm talking about, right? The gods of America, you know? If, and those kinds of people, they tell you that they believe in the same God that you do, that they're following the same God that, that, that you follow. But in the next breath, you hear them spew hateful talk and xenophobia and tribalism and and greed, and lustful things. When you hear those things, we look at this and we can tell, we, we can see the evidence that, that maybe if they're trying to make you afraid of loving other people that are different than you, the way that Christ loves those people, if that's what they're trying to do, then maybe they don't know the same Jesus of Nazareth that we know, the one who is out there winning hearts and minds, not elections and football games. If you have strong feelings about what I just said, you might email me at chris at discoverhope.church, chris at discoverhope.church. Uh, the, the longer, the better. I'd love to interact with you via email on that. 
Okay, so I want to wrap up with just a couple of quick observations, all right, on this passage. This is what I observed. Just two things that I think we can take away with us. One is it appears that what John is saying is that it's more about being than doing. That if we have the correct understanding of what God is doing in us, it, that it's more about being than about doing. Maybe Christianity is more concerned with trajectory than destination. Or to put it another way, maybe it's, maybe it's more about the journey than the arrival date. As we trade our fear motivations for love motivations, we're doing it at the rate of our own choosing. That's what's happening. And here's another side note, which is, here's something that I've observed as a 44-year-old person instead of a 34- or 24-year-old person, is that, that God allows us to choose the rate at which he changes us from the inside out. But I'll say this, the longer we put it off, the more extreme the measures he's willing to take to see it happen. That is to say, it's less painful the sooner we give in. My second observation is this. It's more about determination than destiny. And I, by determination, I, I don't mean like, you know how when someone is like a rock climber. You see a rock climber way up there. And I mean, I'm always impressed when you see people climbing rocks. It's like, that's amazing, especially without ropes. That's super impressive. And you just go, wow, that, that takes a lot of determination, right? He's really determined to get to the top, top. He's got grit, and he's just going for it. That's not what I mean by determination here. What I mean is to determine, to choose. It's more about determination to make a choice than it is about destiny. And what I mean is, this is a consensual arrangement. This is an arrangement in which God allows us to submit to the process. We choose, and he makes the change. We choose, and he changes us. In other words, if we don't determine to partner with God in this process, he doesn't enforce his destiny on us. He honors our choice. But I will tell you, as someone has, who has done both, who has resisted the change that God wants to bring about in my life and who has submitted to it, the latter is far better. It's far better. All right, here's where we've arrived. Remember I told you the destination at the beginning, right? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, for an agrarian society, this would make perfect sense. You know, if you looked out your window and you saw two uh, oxen yoked together, you'd hear this passage and it would just click for you. When was the last time you saw some oxen yoked together? Not, not recently, right? Not recently. So I, I looked at the message. Uh, this isn't a, a literal translation, but it's kind of a, um, it's a paraphrase. This is the message uh, version of that verse. And I, if it's okay, I want to read it to you because it, 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 it framed it in a new light for me. It says this. It asks this question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me 
and work with me? Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound good to anyone? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.